Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Double Down WNBA podcast. My name is Stephen Trinkwald. I will be joined momentarily by Eric Nemchok. There was a technical snafu, so we lost the first about 30 seconds or so of this episode. But we do have some news. Uh, we are going to go through, you know, just kind of uh, a general news catch up here, go through the core designations, go through the recent head coaching hirings, uh, most of which have been filled by the time we record this episode. A couple of players have been released, and, and then uh, we'll go through the qualifying offers and stuff like that. Let's start with the the core designations here, and we can just kind of go chronologically um, from when the news came out. And that starts us with John Quill Jones getting cored by the Connecticut Sun. I think a no-brainer. Yeah, no-brainer. Um, the core designation obviously means that team gets exclusive negotiating rights with that player and automatically earns that player a pretty hefty contract. Um, and who better to get that hefty contract than the reigning league MVP, right? Now, what I wanted to ask you right away as a Sun fan, um, they're going to have a few hoops to jump through, I think, when uh, when deciding their, when maneuvering around the salary cap, if you will. But, I mean, as you said, John Cole Jones, no-brainer. How does this fit in with the Suns' long-term plans, first and foremost? Well, I think... Um... If, if you're asking me, you know, John Quill Jones should be the Suns' long-term plans. Like, it all kind of starts and revolves around John Quill Jones. She's the reigning MVP, as you mentioned. She's one of the handful of best players in the league. So it's a, a team that is on the, you know, the veteran side of the aging curve. But John Quill Jones, among that, you know, outside of Brianna Jones, uh, the player who probably will be their first player off the bench this coming season you know Jones is is the youngest of that group you know she's younger than Dewana Bonner she's younger than Jasmine Thomas she's younger than Alyssa Thomas she is both their best player and also the one that's sort of kind of just hitting the prime of her career yeah that's a good way of putting it and uh you know I think ever since the WNBA contract information has become publicly available a few years ago and kudos to everyone who puts in the hard work to get that information it's it's tremendously helpful to us um Ever since that information became publicly available, it's been kind of easy to get bogged down in the size of the contracts and the lengths of the contracts and guaranteed contracts and stuff like that. Let's let's call it like it is. You need to keep John Cole Jones around. You need to find a way to keep John Cole Jones around. And that is the case for every star player, right? Um, there's only one core designation a team gets per season. You use it to keep your star player. Um, now, granted, looking down the line a little bit, it may get a little weird because you've got Dewana Bonner on a lot of money. You have Alyssa Thomas on a lot of money and a lot of years. And I think this is what I want to talk about next pertaining to the Sun. Alyssa Thomas got how many years when she was on an injured Achilles? Four years? Uh, that's right, four years, yep. Yeah, so if Alyssa Thomas gets four years from the Sun when she's not even going to be playing for those first few months, what does John Cole Jones get? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I, I think that's dictated by what John Quill Jones wants. You know, she she just played her age 27 season. I cannot imagine a world where Connecticut does not feel comfortable also offering her four seasons at the higher maximum. You know, the, these are the type have of to. these are the type of players that demand that these contracts, you know, um, it's I think the name of the game is, is, is kind of what length of contract does she want? You know, it. It probably won't be a one-year deal, although it may be. But the reason I say that is because this will be John Quell's first season playing under the core designation. So, you know, she would still have one additional year left of core eligibility 
to play under that designation. So so she's almost incentivized to just take the two-year deal off of this core designation to get to her true unrestricted free agency the quickest route possible and then hit her, you know, for the first time in her career, hit her unrestricted free agency before her age 30 season. But, you know, maybe since it will be her age 30 season after those two years, she'll, she'll just want to take the four years. And, you know, I, I guess it depends on kind of where she sees the this the direction of this franchise because their their money is pretty tied up but Dewana Bonner they're you know not the elder statesman of the team but but certainly the oldest player on on the team in terms of contributors you know she's 34 and this is the last year of her deal at near or super max money so yeah the the roster will probably look different next year um but is that enough for John Quill Jones to want to stick around well, I mean, as a Sun fan, I have to assume that you would hope it is. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of things can happen between now and then. And first order of the day is always retain your stars. It's a star-driven league. So the Sun did the right thing in coring John Quill Jones. Anything else you want to add to this? I don't think so. We can move to um, a core designation by the favorite team of the other co-host of this podcast. <laughs> that would be the, the Chicago Sky coring Kalea Copper. You know, maybe a little bit more thought process involved in this decision as Chicago has, you know, three star level players that could have been cored that were unrestricted free agents. I think this one makes the most sense for Chicago though. I agree. I agree. Um, just to get this out of the way, I think we were, were we, were we discussing this uh, in our little free agency preview? Like copper is maybe not a typical player who you want to build a team around in regards to her being purely a play finisher. So I think once again, there are going to be some folks who, who look at this inevitable max contract and say, well, I don't know, Kalia Copper not worth the max contract. You got to look at the other options here, first of all. Um, if Courtney Vanderslew got cored, she made comments, uh, you know, and of course, these are just comments. You don't know what her, you don't want to speculate on her true intentions, but she wanted to test free agency for the first time in her career. Um, if you core Courtney Vandersloot and say, okay, you can only negotiate with us after her saying publicly that she wants to kind of explore free agency, that might not be a, a very nice move. But also the other thing to take, in, to take into consideration here is that Vandersloot and Quigley, who I'm assuming, Ellie Quigley, I'm assuming that's the other player you were referring to as far as their three options of, of star level players who might've gotten the core, that money is basically going to the same place anyway, you know, um, with them being married and all that. Uh, and I can't imagine that Quigley's going to want to play much longer anyway. So if you think about it, like if you don't core Kalia Copper now, Copper who is a a tremendous athlete entering the prime of her career and her stock as a player is as high as it's ever been, she's still got some room to improve as well. So if you don't core her and you and she enters unrestricted free agency, you lose, you risk losing Kalia Copper for, I don't want to say no reason, but... I agree. I think this is the logical move. I mean, would paying Kalea Copper the super max for four years, that that would maybe be a little bit burdensome on Chicago's books, sure. But there were going to be other offers out there, max offers for Kalea Copper, at least at the lower maximum. Like if you give her the opportunity to leave, then that opens the opportunity up for her to leave. Like you, you don't want to kind of put yourself in that position. So if I'm Chicago, like I do probably want to lock her up on a multi-year deal kind of somewhere between that super max number and that 
that lower maximum number, you know, something that she wouldn't have been able to get from another place in true free agency, but that still, you know, kind of lets her know that that she's a very valued part of this organization. And from Kalea Copper's perspective, you know, perhaps unlike John Quill Jones, I think maybe it does behoove her to take a longer term deal under this core designation. You know, Jones is a perennial MVP contender, a three-time all WNBA uh, player, an MVP ballot player year over year. This may be the the peak of Kalea Copper's value in terms of, you know, coming off this huge postseason run, the leverage she has with kind of keeping Chicago's title window open. So while Jones, you know, the Supermax offers are, are probably always going to be available to John Quill Jones, like a two-year or one-year deal may, might make a little bit more sense. I think Copper is in a little bit of a different position. Is that fair to say, you think? Yeah, it's fair to say, for sure. Um, and, you know, as a fan, I want Kalia Copper back for as long as possible. Um, this is one of those things where, and let's, you talked, you mentioned the title window. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's say, you know, the goal for this guy is obviously next year, run it back. You know, you've got a closing championship window in terms of immediate contention. And much of your, much of your core is, is aging. You know, I mean, there's, there's no other way to put it. Um, Kalia Copper is that one player who is still going to be in the prime of her athletic, in the athletic prime of her career entering that or heading into next season. So and, and Stevens as well. And Stevens as well, yeah. Um, but what I was going to say was, suppose the Sky do not repeat next season. Um, then Candace Parker, you know, her contract is up. She might retire. Allie Quigley might retire. You know, you don't know what's going on with Vander Sloot. So then you're going to have a pretty, a, a not not a very fun situation as far as do you do you rebuild? Do you take, keep do you take another swing in free agency? You know, what do you do? This will at least ensure that the Sky have at least one key piece locked in long term. Again, is is Copper a player who who you can build a team around? I don't know. I don't think the evidence is there quite yet. But this is again something I think the Sky have to do. And compared to the other two options, I think it was the right call. So let's move on to what was probably the toughest core decision made uh, in this window here, and that was the Seattle Storm coring Jewel Lloyd, choosing not to core Brianna Stewart. What were your initial thoughts on this one? What were you kind of thinking when the news dropped about Jewel Lloyd getting cored? I mean, my first thought was, it seems like people have been, a very vocal portion of WNBA fans have been trying to will Jewel Lloyd away from the Seattle Storm. I, I, I'm not sure why that is, and I don't think they're going to get their wish, you know, unless Jewel Lloyd really, 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 really wants out of Seattle for some reason. I mean, I, this, she's going to earn the money. And this is something that the Storm have prepared for. I think a big portion of the Natasha Howard sign and trade from last off season, and I think we talked about this way back when, but I'm not going to go all the way back in our archives and make sure, um, is to ensure that they had the money for this off season. Because they knew they had two superstar players in Brianna Stewart and Jewel Lloyd that they needed to pay as much as possible to keep around, as well as, you know, Sue Bird, who is the face of their franchise. So, you know, they, they prepared for this. This was in their long-term plans. So I can't say I'm surprised that Lloyd was the one who got the core designation. Um, There's obviously a choice between Lloyd and Stewart, whoever got the core. But I think with Lloyd, you you avert the risk of her walking in free agency. I don't think the same risk was there with Brianna Stewart. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of... Um... Public did, I kind of, did I kind of steal your thoughts? There? No, no, no. I was just going to say public perception. You know, if if the move is to core Jewel Lloyd, then Seattle must feel really good about Brianna Stewart also coming back. Um, Stewart, 
you know, is widely considered or not universally, but many consider her to be the best player in the world. So opening her up to true free agency is, I think, a risk you only kind of take it if you feel like Jewel Lloyd is sort of the bigger flight risk. And, you know, maybe flight risk is a negative term, but I, I don't mean it that way. Just, a, you know, a player who's kind of more willing to field offers and kind of see what else is out there. Um, but this, you know, Stewart and Lloyd and Sue Bird, this is a core that's been very successful together. And, you know, like like you were saying, I think the big difference between this situation and Natasha Howard, who was cored last year by the Seattle Storm, is... I don't think Seattle is going to have a problem paying Jewelloid the Supermax, whereas I don't think they wanted to give Howard that amount of money for four years, which is, you know, what Natasha Howard wanted was the big payday after kind of really emerging as that level of player with Seattle, you know, after kind of being in a bench role and, and kind of relegated to, you know, n- not the player that I'm sure she she thought in her mind and, and previously in her career. And then, you know, she had the big season in 2019, Howard did, and then kind of had to take another step back in 2020 when Stewart and Bird were back. So as you were saying, Howard, Alicia Clark, those are players who were sort of, I don't want to say deemed expendable, but they were the cost of keeping this free agency book open, you know, to make sure that Lloyd is able to get her payday. So yeah, the people that are pointing at Chicago T-shirts and where's Jewel going to go and, you know. She's from Chicago. Yeah. yeah. She's going to wear a Chicago T-shirt. I mean, come on. Yeah, I I wouldn't put too much stock in in that stuff, but unless Jewel Lloyd is absolutely just banging her fist on the desk demanding to get out of Seattle, it's... She's going to be there at least probably for the next couple of seasons, it, it would look like. And if Jewel Lloyd really wants to go to Chicago, Chicago's got to do some work together. I mean, you can't just say, okay, Jewel, come on over. Like, Chicago's got some stuff to clean up on their end as well. So it would be, um, there'd be quite a bit of maneuvering, I think, if on, on anyone's end, if Jewel Lloyd was to leave Seattle this offseason. Anything else you want to say about this one, or should we move on? I think we can move on. Uh, what do we have now? We have uh, a core that wasn't made. Yeah, I think this was... Probably the big um, question mark, I guess, you know, besides who would Seattle core is would Vegas decide to to use their core for the second consecutive season on Liz Cambage? They chose not to. Liz Cambage will be an unrestricted free agent. Vegas will have much more flexibility heading into this offseason. Do you think this was the right call for Las Vegas? Um, well, I think it says what we've pretty much all been thinking. Right, and that's that the Liz Cambage Asia Wilson pairing experiment is is over. I guess they could still bring her back, but would she want to come back? Is my question because if you have an option to say, okay, Liz Cambage, you're going to get the super maximum, and you don't do it, you know, would she would she still want to play for you? That's that that's my question. Um, yeah, but new era in Vegas, which we're going to be talking about later uh, with another bit of little bit of news. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's the right call, the wrong call. I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent about this. What do you think? I'm not sure this 100% closes the door on Liz Cambage in Vegas. You know, there are not a lot of... I, I think Vegas is just kind of leaving their options open a little bit more. You know, they, they can now kind of call Tina Charles. They can call Tiffany Hayes. They can call some other players who might be maybe preferable to kind of you know, add in that that extra bit of uh, max money that they'll have with Cambage and Angel McCautry coming off the books. Um, and I just don't think there are, you know, if they did core Liz Cambage and conversations with other players went well, there are probably not a lot of trade suitors out there that would be looking to 
bring in Cambage for higher than her lower maximum, the, the lower maximum true, number, yeah. you know? So if you have other ambitions, you probably don't want to get, I don't want to say stuck with Liz Cambage because she's a, a great player, but you don't want to just kind of put yourself in that position if, you know, if that's not your number one choice. So, you know, last year they court her Los Angeles last year was available uh, as a destination. They had a lot more things to, to make happen. Liz has, I think, made it fairly well known that she's just not going to go play in any old destination, right? It's going to be the right fit for her. And LA certainly seems to be one of those options, which it doesn't seem on the table now. So, you know, the difference also between Cambage maybe taking the core qualifying offer for one more season and say bringing in a Tina Charles at the lower maximum or Tiffany Hayes at, at a pretty close to that number might be the difference in rounding out the end of the bench with someone good as well. So, you know, it's it probably does signal the end of that pairing, a pairing that I think is successful and, and rightly uh, perhaps criticized or I, I don't know the term I'm looking for, but but given up on a little bit between Cambage and, and Asia because they were still very good. That pairing was very good in the playoffs. But yeah, she she now has unrestricted free agency and Vegas will probably see what else is out there. That will be something to watch for. Um, of course, with Cambage, it's always it's not it's not just a question of where will she go. It's will she play in the WNBA in any given summer? So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think that's it for the core designations. We had an interesting piece of news out of Atlanta. Uh, they just cut Tiana Hawkins. I thought that was kind of interesting. She wasn't her contract wasn't guaranteed money, um, but they didn't like they didn't really have to do this right away. You know, uh, what, what do you think happened? I mean. I, I feel like you are a little bit more surprised about this than I am. The, the, to me, this seems like this was going to happen one way or, the, or or another. You know, there was no reason for Atlanta to bring Tiana Hawkins back at almost $150,000. Why would, you know, why wait for three weeks for something you could do right now? You know what I mean? If the concerns are, you know, filling out the roster or the salary floor, you know, I don't think Tiana Hawkins is going to have a litany of suitors, uh, you know, that are going to offer her that much money or more than that. So to me, I, I think this is something, yeah, just just clear it, clear the space now. It, it will not inhibit any ambitions that you have in free agency, which obviously Atlanta has a lot given the uh, vastness of their <laughs> roster spaces. <laughs> um, but if, I mean, if it comes to it, you know, I, I'm personally not even sure that Tiana Hawkins will be on a roster next year, never mind like a high six figure player. So, um, to me, it made sense. Just kind of get that money off the books, do what you can do in free agency. And then, you know, maybe, maybe nothing happens and you want to give Tiana Hawkins a call and I don't know, offer the her similar or even higher money. If you really do need to hit the salary floor, which probably won't be a problem. You can always find payers to, to play, I think, but I don't, that, that's my kind of thoughts on it. I don't, I don't really see it as all that big of a surprise. That's a good point. And you know, this could also be a favor to Hawkins herself. Like if you know that you're not going to keep Tiana Hawkins, this will at least give her time to negotiate deals elsewhere, right? Yeah, while while the money is still out there, right? While the money is still out there, exactly. Okay, um, moving right along here. The Phoenix Mercury made some corresponding moves. They released Megan Walker and then signed Kia Nurse to the qualifying offer. Well, well they, um, they didn't sign her. They offered her. Or they the offered her. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They offered her the qualifying offer. Uh, our good friend, Richard Cohen, the WNBA alien, now we're getting her hoop stats, um, he pointed this out. He kind of predicted this. This is a, how do I put this? 
this is kind of the cost of business when you have so much salary already tied up. You need to cut salary elsewhere if you can even offer someone the qualifying offer. And that's what happened with Kia Nurse. Yeah, the Mercury, I mean, essentially have four max players already on their roster and, you know, filling out the end of the bench is quite difficult when you have four max players on your roster. You have Tarasi, Skylar Diggins, Smith, and Griner all making, you know, not just max money, but upper maximum money over $220,000. Uh, and then Bria Hartley, of course, at the lower max. So, you know, you are forced um, when, when that's your roster construction to make some kind of fringe moves. To, uh, I think the, you know, this would be a no-brainer decision if Kia Nurse did not suffer a torn ACL absolutely at the end of the season uh and if you know she were expecting her to be able to contribute but I think the reason why this is so interesting is is because one they are almost certainly going to have to play with 11 players next year due to the salary structure that we just went over and you know are they going to have to do like a 2021 Connecticut Sun and play with essentially 10 players to you know to kind of keep nurse if if they you know, progress forward and sign nurse and to keep her on the roster. So from the Megan Walker side of it, you know, I mean, there wasn't really much keeping her on Phoenix, right? 22% from three over her first two WNBA seasons. Robert Mummery also has noted how much Walker has struggled with her overseas team as well. So to me, it maybe would have made a little bit more sense if this move was waving Kia Vaughn and her $110,000 unguaranteed, which I think is probably going to have to come at some point anyway, if this team wants to add another good player. But, you know, you can't really say, you know, what is this team doing cutting Megan Walker? Because she hasn't really proved her, you know, her bona fides in the WNBA, I guess. Absolutely. And I know you have not been a fan of uh, this Kia Vaughn contract. And like you said, this that may that may happen anyway, but um, I, I mean, I you know it was I think she played well in 2020, but I you know it's just time to, as players get older, it, it may be time to move on, you know. Well, and and once again under this uh, salary cap in, in Phoenix's situation in particular, um, do you really want a player like Kievon occupying that much uh, salary cap space when you could have a younger and cheaper player who does more or less the same thing, right? Um, and and Megan Walker, I mean. She might have just gotten cut in training camp anyway. Last season, she basically lost her starting position. Um, so I can't say I'm surprised by that one. So let's move on to some coaching news. There have been a couple of coaching hires uh, that we, I guess, should should talk about. The first being Becky Hammond. I think it was reported uh, that Becky Hammond would be brought on to be the Aces head coach and general manager, but as Kevin Pelton pointed out on the Her Hoop Stats podcast the other day with Gabe Ibrahim, the press release did not mention Hammond as general manager, only as head coach, so I guess that's still up in the air. But nevertheless, we know that at least she's going to be the head coach, replacing Bill Lambeer, who is transitioning, I guess, to a an undefined consulting or front office position with the, the franchise. You know, this is a move that a lot of people are very excited about, Eric. And for good reason. Um, Hammond, of course, her name has been brought up in NBA coaching searches for the past few years. Uh, unfortunately, nobody gave her a head, head coaching job. Um, we're not going to talk about that. But um, yeah, she came back to the WNBA. And for five years, I believe it was, and the most money ever made by a WNBA head coach, I that, that number isn't out there like the players' numbers are. But uh, 
Vegas, obviously very, very confident in their hire, giving her that kind of uh, salary and those kinds of years. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to see, first of all, you know, not, not just a, a WNBA legend uh, coming back to uh, continue contributing to the game, but just, you know, a, a position previously being held by a man now going to a woman. Two of them, uh, which we'll get to another one later with the, the Liberty. But I mean, I, I don't want to like, you know, carve our position out here as the the podcast that's doubtful about whether Becky Hammond is going to be a good head coach. But I think it is being a little bit underplayed about the, sh- the shoes that are needing to be filled here, because as much as the WNBA community likes to dunk on Bill Lambier, he was an enormously successful coach. Even if certain players' individual efficiency or playoff results might not have um, been as high as, you know, perhaps their most ardent supporters believe that it can and should and will be, the overall results of the team, you, you really can't argue them too much, right? They were the number one offense in 2021. They were the number two defense in 2021 and the number two seed in 2021. They were the number two offense in 2020, the number two defense in 2020, the number one seed in 2020 and had a finals appearance, right? They were the number one defense in 2019. In my opinion, probably the second best team in the league that year, even though their seeding was a little bit lower. You know, Asia and Liz both missed some time in, in that 2019 season. So this is a team that has shoes to fill, I would say. That's a good way of putting it. And I'm also very impressed that you managed to get all the way through that that bit, you know, saying 2021 and 2020, and now we're in 2022. That can be a bit of a tongue twister. So good job, Stephen. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, expectations are going to be very, very high. Basically, you know, the Aces set the bar high, as you put it. Um, one of the best teams in the league for each of the past three seasons. And echoing what you said about Lambeer, does he have weaknesses as a coach? Absolutely. But the results that he achieved with the Aces, I mean, you can say those because of the players or, or, or not, but Bill Lambeer coached them to three very, very, very successful seasons. And now that they hire Hammond as their head coach, it's championship or bust, you know? I mean, I could see, you know, I, and, and, and keep, let's keep it this, and let's put it this way. The Aces excelled in, in like several categories. Like they were undoubtedly good in several categories that I think you could point directly to coaching be, uh, uh, for those uh, those categories, you know, for the free throw rate stuff. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, they, they had a statistical identity, right? Absolutely. And it was one of the best in the WNBA. Like, it's no, it's not just a coincidence that the Aces were had the uh, had three of the league's best records uh, going back to 2019. So I guess my question is, how can Hammond not only sustain that success, but improve upon it? I think one of the major talking points is, well, they need to shoot more threes. Okay, who's shooting those threes? You want Jackie Young shooting four threes a game? I don't, if I'm an Aces fan. It's probably going to come from Kelsey Plum. I could figure that Kelsey Plum is going to have a, a larger role. Maybe this, stretch Asia, maybe this is a season when Asia Wilson stretches out to the three-point line. It's just that we just don't know what Hammond's coaching philosophy is going to be because he's never been a head coach. And I, I think it's, it's, it's fair to raise that question. Yeah, and I think that there are you know things that you could point to about Bill Lambeer and his shortcomings and you know if you wanted to say and perhaps I would even make this argument that his brand his his basketball identity for this Aces team is something that is built to be enormously successful over the course of the regular season you know being the best team in the league in both free throw attempt rate and free throw attempt rate allowed two consecutive seasons like that is not an accident that's an identity right No. 
But the, the Bill Lambeer thing is, is that it's not just the low three-point attempt rate offensively, right? It's also allowing the most threes, which in the regular season, I think letting teams fire away from three is is probably a recipe for success for your defense in the regular season because the bottom half of the league is going to shoot, you know, 29, 30, 31% from three. But rolling that same philosophy into the postseason when you're playing against the 2019 Mystics or the 2020 Storm, teams that actually can play successfully five out and, and fire away and punish you from there, you know, perhaps there was a lack of, of adaptability there. You know, they allowed a huge three-point attempt rate against that Mystics team, a huge three-point attempt rate against that Storm team. So, Maybe it's defensively even more so than the offense, which, again, both of those sides of the ball were very successful under Lambeer. Maybe it's, uh, you know, their their bigs willing to play a little bit more closer to the perimeter defensively rather than kind of just packing the paint and, and allowing some of those um, those open three-point looks. I don't know. Uh, but, but Hammond, enough people are excited and, and confident in what Hammond is going to be as a head coach that, you know, I, I have to believe that she's, she's going to be pretty good, but there, she's also replacing someone that was pretty good. So like you said, it, there are going to be very high expectations and who knows if, if Liz Cambage doesn't get that layup blocked by Diana Taurasi with the game tied at 81 with, you know, 80 seconds left in game five or yeah. Lambier felt that he could play Cambage 32 minutes instead of 29 in that game when she was a plus 15 and, in 29 minutes and Kia Stokes is a minus 17 or, you know, if Brittany Griner doesn't just make an unbelievable play to pin Asia Wilson shot off the backboard in the final seconds, maybe this isn't even happening. Um, but you know, it, it is happening. So I, I'm sure Becky Hammond is going to be successful, but again, there's, there's a high bar to clear, I guess. Yeah. Very, very diplomatically put. And when we don't want to, uh, say that we're the Bill Lambier fan, uh, fan club over here, I think, I think far from it. Um, just wanted to provide maybe a little alternate perspective there. Okay, moving on. Um, Sandy Brindello hired by the New York Liberty. This this goes back to that one uh, that one pair of firings that I guess were not so coincidental. Um, back, I think it was on a Friday. Was it on a Friday? I don't know. Sometime it was in, sometime in mid December, where two some, he- some, head coaches happened to be uh, vacancies happened to be opened up. Yes, yes, very very interesting. Um, but yeah, the Liberty let go of Walt Hopkins, Mercury let go of Sandy Brondello. Had to figure that wasn't a coincidence. And I guess it wasn't because Brondello is now coaching the Liberty. And I think there's a lot to unpack here. This is not really something we've we've talked too much about, Eric. Um, I I feel like I'm maybe not a, as high on Sandy Brondello as a coach as, as some other people out there. But what what do you think about this fit? Where are you, I guess, on Sandy Brondello as a, as a head coach? Um. I think there are better head coaches out there, certainly. Does this excite you for the Liberty? No, but it doesn't need to. Uh, the Liberty are a team... I, first of all, let's look at what the Liberty's identity has been. You talk about the whole hybrid rebuild thing that absolutely everyone loves. <laughs> doesn't really make much sense, but I, did, I, th- I believe during the press conference for Brandello's hiring, they said, like, okay, the hybrid rebuild is over. It's like, okay, well, it never really began, but okay. I, this, yeah, you this, still have four second or third year players yeah, on your bench. So yeah, so like okay, so what what exactly are you doing? But this to me, it signals I wouldn't say an all in approach, but it signals a level of confidence in this current roster. Basically, um, now granted, there is there are still some moves that New York can and I think will make during free agency to improve that roster. That the playoff roster, you know, they made the playoffs last season, kind of by the skin of their teeth, but it's a playoff appearance regardless. And Brondello is a coach who, when she was in Phoenix, I mean, she was hired and that team immediately 
won the WNBA Finals with the all-time best record in league history, right? So you could say that, yeah, maybe Brondella kind of wore out her welcome in Phoenix, but it, it, it doesn't excite me, but it interests me, Stephen. Because if you look at Brondello's tenure in Phoenix, that was mostly a static core of players that had a static goal. They were pretty much in win-now mode the entire time. Granted, some untimely injuries to Tarazi and suspensions for Griner that maybe rocked the boat a little bit. But I don't think the Mercury were ever truly not competing during Brondello's tenure in Phoenix. Will she bring that same philosophy to New York? When, as as you mentioned, there's still a little bit of development still to be made there. I'm not sold on Sandy Brandello as a player development coach, but she's definitely a competent coach. She's a competent WNBA coach with a proven track record of winning. And that's not something Liberty have had, you know, for a few years now. Yeah, for me, this is one where, you know, there are reasons to be optimistic about this hiring and there are reasons to maybe be a little bit more cynical. I think a lot of reasons in both categories, right? You can you can be optimistic because of of what you said, right? She, you know, that 2013 Mercury team under Corey Gaines, they were fourth in offense and 10th in defense. Largely that same core in 2014, uh, the first season under Sandy Brondello, first in offense, first in defense. You know, obviously that jump from 10th in defense to first in defense is is notable, especially, uh, but also notable that, you know, Brittany Griner wasn't a rookie anymore. She was now a, a second year player who who got some bearings as a, a WNBA player. Um, but nonetheless, you know, there was a huge kind of culture change that team had never, ever defended. And they were the, first, the number one defense in the league as soon as Sandy Brondello got there. I think... Another reason, perhaps, to be optimistic is Brondello, if nothing else, right? Maybe not a player development coach, like you're saying, but she has a track record of maximizing her best players, right? Uh, Brittany Griner, Diana Taurasi, Skylar Diggins-Smith, Dewana Bonner, all players that have had all WNBA seasons under Brondello, for whatever that's worth. Maybe nothing, right? Those players largely are are probably going to have all WNBA seasons no matter who the coach is. But she has shown a willingness to play different styles, right? Her, Her own... Or, or the organization's personnel moves have perhaps prohibited that at times. But when given the option, you know, we've seen her play with two very traditional bigs. Maybe that best Phoenix team that we've seen since 2014 was that 2018 team with Dewana Bonner playing at the four. So we know she's not necessarily a coach that's just like completely stuck in her ways. That's just going to do, you know, whatever it is that she wants to do as a coach at at the detriment of, of the roster around her. Right. Is that fair to say, do you think? That's very fair to say it. And I think you could look back at as, as recent as this uh, 2021 Mercury team. I mean, you could say that, yeah, the Brianna Turner and Brittany Grinder combination had its 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 uh, drawbacks, but what else were they going to do? You know, um, there was really no small ball four available other than maybe Alana Smith, but that was obviously not going to happen. So, yeah, no, that's I think that's fair. I think... Some other reasons to perhaps be be optimistic, right? I think you can trust her to run more coherent lineups at all times, you know, throughout the full 40 minutes than perhaps Walt Hopkins was doing with the Liberty. Like, I don't think we're going to see the all bench lineups. Yeah, those are bad. Brondello has shown a little bit more, I guess, aptitude for staggering her stars, I think. And, you know, she does run some really nice offensive sets. They can get a little predictable at times, perhaps. But I think some of the the actions that she runs will put this team's good players, you know, Laney, Howard, Sabrina, 
in a position to, to play off each other and to succeed. Their pet horns play that they run with, you know, perhaps Laney running the action and, and Howard and Sabrina as the screeners. I think that's going to generate some good offense. Their Spain pick and rolls, you know, whether that's, you know, Laney running the action and either Sabrina or Sammy Whitcomb kind of setting that second screen for Howard as the pick and roll big, that should generate some good offense. So in terms of the actual things that we see on the court, you know, what the offense is doing, probably a little bit more to be excited about than, you know, what Walt Hopkins was doing, where Hopkins was, I think, thought of as a very forward thinking coach in terms of firing a lot of threes. But we've noted many, many times that not all of those were necessarily quality looks, right? And his his star player, Benajelani, was not shooting them. She was shooting with one foot inside the three-point line. That's, so, that's right. Um, not great. I think some some reasons to perhaps be a little bit more cynical, which you know may, maybe I tend to be at times. Um, I'm not sure the time to expedite the rebuild for this team is there yet, despite you know signing the two max players and, and Sammy Whitcomb, an older player, to some pretty big money. But the the second half of this roster just really is not there. Like it's all kind of young players. This is still an extremely top heavy roster i think with you know four five five and a half good players and this mercury team and i think you had fairly brought up in the notes like is it brondello or was it the the organization that was kind of sacrificing young players in in the name of win now veterans i i guess i'm not really too sure but i mean when was the last time sandy brondello really kind of outside of Bree turner who has has been very good for them uh, I guess that's that's kind of the shining example of uh, of a young player that actually turned into, you know, a rotation player. But before Sophie Cunningham and, and Bree Turner, it had been a long time since, you know, younger players were kind of forged into quality rotation players under this Mercury team. And that's kind of why I brought up the player development thing. You know, this is, this is you know, Brundello was a head coach briefly in the WNBA before her time in Phoenix, but this is a, a, a fit that, a, a, a coach roster fit, I should say, that we haven't really seen from Sandy Brundello in a long time. So I have to wonder, like, I, I mean, philo- sorry to interrupt you, but from just like the roster fit perspective, can can there be more of like an opposite end of the spectrum in terms of your starting center going from Brittany Griner to Natasha Howard? Like those are yeah, com- right. completely different players. It- exactly. And, and well, what I was, what I was referring to was like the direction of the roster itself, but, but you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, yeah. I mean, you think about Phoenix and they've, they've made a lot of moves that ended up seeming pretty short-sighted, you know, um, they had Courtney Williams, not maybe nobody talks about that. Hi Curtis. Not a lot of people maybe, maybe bring that up anymore. Um, traded for Kelsey bone from Connecticut. Connecticut obviously was thrilled by that deal. They traded Izzy Harrison, who was kind of a stash player. You know, she was injured heading into that draft. She was still recovering from an ACL injury, and they kind of swapped her out of there. She turned out to be a serviceable WNBA player as well. And, and attached a first-round pick to do it as well. So Yeah, so it's like they really had to get rid of Izzy Harrison for that. Like, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, so I, I have to wonder, in hiring Brondello as their head coach, what does that mean for the whole developmental timeline? And what does it mean for free agency? Are they going to go all in for free agency once again, like they did last off season? I I think it's it's an interesting interesting thing to think about. I guess the other concern would just be kind of like the general malaise of those Phoenix teams, you know, in between finals appearances. Yeah, they they were good on defense the first 
two seasons that Brondello was there. But after that second year, you know, eighth, sixth, seventh, ninth, fifth, seventh in defense, you know, a couple top four offenses, but, you know, third or fourth, they were never really, you know, one of the elite offenses again in, in the league. And, you know, how, how much of that general malaise was was Sandy Brondello? How much of it was just kind of, you know, the Diana Trossi of it all? And Brittany Griner, I think, was prior to this. She had her moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, the, the defensive lapses and stuff that we used to talk about all the time. So, I mean, it's a different roster. They're different personalities. Maybe none of that stuff carries over. But it's it's at least kind of a point on, on kind of, you know, that side's favor, I guess. I think that that's a good point. And I don't know if that was maybe a, a case of the team just being done with the coach. I mean, sometimes that just that just happens. No matter how good the relationship starts, it kind of just sours as, as time moves on. And you know, I think anybody watching the Phoenix Mercury over the years would, would, would agree with you. You know, there were just very long lapses in, I don't want to say effort, because I'm, I'm, I'm never one to, to question an athlete's effort when I'm the one sitting on my couch watching them. But, you know, the, the rebounding was rarely there. Like you said, massive defensive lapses just over and over and over again. I, I don't, think I, I don't imagine that rebounding is going to get better with uh, well, this Liberty team either. That's true, but that's yeah, that's personnel. That that kind of that kind of speaks to my point, though. You know, can you expect Sandy Modelo to be a wizard here and just turn a poor rebounding team into a good one? Probably not. But how much of that is personnel? How much of that is coaching? I don't think Sandy Modelo is that bad of a coach to consistently be fielding teams that are consistently playing that way you know i'd like to give her the benefit of a doubt and as i've said this is a completely different roster so i'm i'm at least excited to see what direction they go in yeah i think you know just to kind of wrap this this segment up here i think i probably would have been a little bit more intrigued you know maybe not sold on it being a better hire but just kind of from you know from an interest standpoint if it was you know latricia trammell by all accounts the architect of that Sparks defense that's been the number three defense in the league each of the last three seasons. But the Brondello hire is a move that I think it's very easy to talk yourself into or talk yourself out of whichever way you're kind of inclined to go. Very fair. Very fair. Okay, that's it for the big news. We do have some other stuff to run through, though. Uh, Qualifying offers, you know, the thing that teams need to offer their players for them to be considered restricted and or reserve free agents. There are a couple players who did not receive qualifying offers, Stephen. Yeah, I thought this was interesting. So by not receiving their qualifying offers from their previous teams, these players are now unrestricted free agents, free to go to whichever team uh, that would want to sign them uninhibited, as opposed to the remainder of the players that will go through who did receive qualifying offers. Crystal Bradford and Carly Samuelson, I believe, are the only two players who did not receive their qualifying offers, both of whom I think are players that can add value to a WNBA team. Bradford, to me, should be a shoe-in for a roster spot somewhere. Samuelson may be a little bit more on the fringe. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think we know why Bradford wasn't offered the qualifying offer uh, because of that uh, incident, off-court incident involving Courtney Williams. Uh, just a real shame, man. And I totally agree. From a talent perspective, Bradford should be on a WNBA roster. She proved it last season. She's back healthy. She can contribute in a, in a very interesting and effective way as like a small ball four out there. Uh, so I think she will... I mean, I hope she'll draw some interest. But yeah, I agree with Samuelson. I think she's. I think Samuelson, uh, Carly Samuelson, of course, is. She's one of those players who you're going to be getting training camp deals for for like oh, for a while now, but she's never really going to stick as like a full time rotation player. I could see her signing a, a training camp offer somewhere. But Bradford, I mean, it's it's how seriously our teams are other teams taking the off court issues. You know, 
in my opinion, I wouldn't take it that seriously, but that's just me. We can go through the players here who have signed their qualifying offers as reserved players. So these are equivalent to a training camp contract. Paris Key signed her qualifying offer with the Liberty. Shea Petty signed her qualifying offer with the Phoenix Mercury. Jalen Agnew signed her qualifying offer with the Atlanta Dream. Chelsea Perry with the Fever. Bridget Carlton signed her qualifying offer with the Minnesota Lynx. Lauren Cox with the LA Sparks, Natisha Heideman in Beatrice Montpremier with the Connecticut Sun, and Megan Gustafson signed hers with the Washington Mystics. Uh, Eric, for me, you know, Carlton and Heideman are, are the players that jump out to me as no doubt kind of high-end rotation players, you know, real steals at this, you know, league minimum uh, reserved player qualifying offer. Petty, I think as well, has proved herself to be a valuable player and, you know, an 8, 9, 10 player rotation. Anybody jump out you know, from, from the rest, I guess, as players, you know, the rest of these, I think are a little bit more on the fringe. Anyone else jump out to you as kind of sure things to make their teams? Um, well, first of all, I'd like to echo your sentiments. Uh, uh, Carlton in particular, I, I love that deal for the Minnesota Lynx. I think she's, I always hesitate saying this, but I think she's worth more than that. I think she's one of the most underrated players in the league. Every, every team in the league could use a Bridget Carlton type of player on their roster. She's, she's very underrated. She, has a very defined skill set that you know every team needs. Um, so kudos to the Lynx on getting that done. I think just looking at him as a as a player, I, I think I like the Chelsea Perry deal, but of course she's coming back from a pretty bad knee injury. So that's you know I mean she could just end up getting getting cut, but I think she has a future in the league for sure. Everyone else, uh, I don't know. Like you look at Mon Premier in the Sun, she's come a little ways, but you know the Sun are going to be looking to shed salary. I don't know. I don't know. How about you? Yeah, none of these players, I guess, particularly jump out. You know, Lauren Cox, I think, is probably the player that I like the most from the remaining players. You know, Mom Premier and Gustafson are are both such hyper specific in kind of what they what they do well and what they don't do well. If the team the respective teams can just find a a different option, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, like you were saying about Carly Samuelson, you know, these are players that are just you know, going to sign probably a million training camp contracts in their careers or, or um, you know, mid-season contracts when, when a team is shorthanded like Gustafson did uh, with Washington last year. Because clearly, clearly their respective teams still want them around, but it's like they just they just can't afford it. So once you have, once a player has that reputation of being, you know, a good locker room presence or a really hard worker or a great teammate or somebody who picks up on things quickly, they will be getting those offers just to have them around but at the end of the day i mean the salary cap is what it is the roster cap is what it is and these teams simply aren't going to be able to afford players who aren't on rookie seal contracts basically to fill out the end of their roster all right anything else i think that should about do it no i mean uh free agency is officially in uh full swing right now um the 15th was the was the first day of contract negotiations so hopefully be hearing some things soon uh i think it's safe to say that the next time you hear from us there'll be more news and we'll be discussing it. All right. Well, until then, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwald. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks so much. All right. Stay safe and stay healthy, everybody.